Thanks for joining us on the Southside Church Podcast. We seek to build real followers of Jesus, so we hope that you find this message both encouraging and insightful. Let's jump in. Hello, Southside. Thank you so much for joining us today, being a part of our church family today. Welcome home. And our desire here is to help you build a real relationship with Jesus Christ because we want to make it real easy to go to heaven. That's exactly what we want to do. We want to see God make it. We want to see God go to work through our community and extend it literally to the ends of the earth. And so you are helping us make that a reality today. And so thank you so much much. Today, we are continuing in a series that we've called Extraordinary. You know the difference between Extraordinary and Ordinary. It's the, it's the little extra that you add into it, or it's the extra that you allow God to put into it. Because I believe that God wants to do extraordinary things through your life. The question is, are you ready to see that? And so today, we're going to deal with a topic and a question and find a story that, that meets us where we are. And the question that we hear a lot in the church world, and we see it in different times, I even ask this question sometimes in my own life, is why does suffering happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Because everybody sees themselves in varying degrees of good. I don't know that anybody got up this morning and looked in the mirror and said, I'm a terrible person. I'm completely awful. I disgust myself. I don't think anybody did that today. I hope you didn't. But but for the most part, we see ourselves in varying degrees of good. And so when bad things happen to us and difficult times come, it can it, it has a tendency to set us back. It has a tendency to cause us to blame God, question God, and wonder why these things are happening. And so we, we see that. Why, are, why do we have trials? Why do we have difficulties? Why do we have tribulation and pain and problems? Well, Jesus said that. He told us we were going to have those things. He said, in this life, you're going to have those things. You're going to have pain and problems, trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. So it may not necessarily mean be, be happy or don't worry, be happy. It may mean I can find joy even in the midst of difficulty. I can cheer and be uh, and find peace and, and happiness in my life, even in the midst of, of pain. And so today we see and deal with the topic of suffering. The stories about suffering in the Bible are not so much about why God allows suffering as it is finding God in the midst of it and then seeing how he wants us to respond to it. And so the Bible, the Bible exists for your benefit and for God's glory. It, it exists so that you can, you and I can have pictures and stories and examples of how God worked and moved in people's lives all throughout history. And, it, and, and it's, it's, it's there for us not to read and, and discredit and to make it seem cartoonish and just write it off and go, yeah, whatever. These things exist so that we can see, man, if God could do that then, what can he do today? And so when you and I deal with the question and topic of suffering, I believe what we learn in these stories is how to find God in the midst of it and how to respond to it. And so today we see what happens when our problems overwhelm us and then our efforts appear to be useless. And so do you trust God enough today to stay in the process even if you can't see the proof? If, if, even if, if I can't find the proof, if I can't see the proof, do I trust God enough to stay in it, to stay in the process until I can see the reason for it? 
Because today we see that the answer may not always be what you think. Point number one today, we, we, we see this in the, in, the, in the story of a man named Naaman and a servant girl. And so when I talk about the answer not being what you think, point number one is pain can be a problem. Pain can be a problem. It can be a difficult thing in our life. I don't know many people that like pain. I don't don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy pain or difficulties or problems in my life, but I do know that there is purpose behind it, and there can be uh, growth in it, and there can be all different kinds of things we can learn from it. And so a lot of times we give God a bad rap and we blame him for the difficult things and not knowing and understanding the fact that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world ravaged by sin and it's just being tormented by Satan and and just the struggles that we have with the flesh in our own life, the world, the flesh, and the devil are the three greatest enemies that you and I face. And when those things come against us and attack us, be it through sickness and disease or or other difficulties and problems, be it in relationships or whatever, we tend to focus our blame on God rather than turning our trust to God and asking Him to meet us there and teach us from it. And so here, 2 Kings chapter number 5, we see this story, Naaman. What's his name, man? Well, it's Naaman. (laughs) Naaman, commander of the army for the king of Aram, which is modern-day Syria. He was a great man in his master's sight, and he was highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aaron. Now, there is a ton that you can find in the midst of this verse. So many different things that we see. We know the man's name. We know his occupation and his role and title. We know where he lived, and we find out some things about his character and what God is even doing in his life, which is extraordinary because this is not a Jewish nation. This is not a Jewish city. This is not a Jew. He's not a Hebrew. He's a Gentile. And yet God, we see, has given victory through some of the endeavors of this man's life. He was commander of the army for the king of Aram. And he was a great man in his master's sight. So he's highly regarded by the king of Aram. And the Lord had given victory to Aram, and they're attributing that to this man. And so we see this. We also see that the man was a brave warrior, but he had a skin disease. So we know he's a great man. He's highly regarded. God has given him favor. He's a military leader. He's got a high-ranking status in this kingdom and this, this government. And we also know that he's a brave warrior, but he also had a skin disease. He's got a problem. And leprosy is what we're talking about here. Leprosy in their culture was was a disease that had no cure, and the result was death. And, And it was a little bit different in Aram's world rather than the Jewish world because leprosy in the Jewish world, in the Israelite culture, and according to the Word of God, meant isolation. It meant, uh, it just meant being alone in your life until eventually, I mean, you would, you would have relationships with other people who had the same disease because they would graft together like that. But the Word of God considered you, considered you to be ceremonially unclean. 
And so people who were not that way had to disassociate themselves from you for, for a couple of reasons. One, because the word of God said so. Two, because the disease is highly contagious. And so here in this case, we see a little different scenario for the people of Syria, the people of Aram. It's a little bit different for them. He was still involved in their day of life, their way of life. He still was actively involved in his role in the government. He still was regarded in a high esteem and manner, but he also was obviously in extreme pain and knew that this disease would ultimately cost him his life. But today I want you to know this. No matter what you're going through, no matter what is happening in or around your life today, our circumstances do not alter God's person, God's power, or God's presence. God's going to speak to you today through one of five ways, through his word, through prayer, through the church, through godly counsel, and finally, through, his, through your circumstances, in order to reveal himself and his purposes and his ways. We like to allow our circumstances to determine everything, whether God is happy with us, displeased with us, whether I'm good or bad, whether I'm holy or not, whether I'm on my way to heaven or I'm not, anything like that. We're here today for you and I to know that our circumstances do not alter God's person, his power, or his presence. That is powerful. And so what we see when we talk about the answer maybe not being what we think, number one, pain can be a problem. It is. Pain is a problem. I don't like it. But number two, pain can lead you to go to extremes. If your pain is severe enough, if it's extreme enough in your life, if it makes you hurt bad enough, you're going to go to extremes to find ways to cure it to find ways to cover it up, get rid of it. Your pain could be an illness or a sickness like Naaman's. Your pain could be some type of issue that is more internal that we mask and we cover up with varying forms of addiction and, and just self-comfort that we use to, that happen, be it through alcohol or drugs or whatever it may be, to make us feel better about ourselves. It just hides the pain. And so here, pain can lead you to go to extremes, and this is what we see. Aram had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young servant girl who served Naaman's wife. And so here they go into a raid into Israel, they, they take over a land, and they remove people and brought them back and use them for their purpose. Here was a young teenage girl that they have, have taken from this land, removed her from her home, her parents, her family, everything she knows to be normal, and she's taken to this land and this place, and more than likely to never return, to stay here forever, forever. And so here we just have context because they brought back from Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. But there's a bigger purpose to this story, but you've got to hear the story and stay in it to see the end. And a lot of times in the midst of our pain and suffering, we don't see how God is using it, working through it in ways that, that bring glory and honor to his name. I heard this statement one time. They said, a preacher said this. I don't remember who it was, but, but, but he said this. God is doing about 10,000 things at once around your life. And you and I are aware of about three of them. But he's working in so many different ways. Well, how does he do that? Because he's God. And so in this story, this young servant girl said to her mistress, if only my master 
would go to the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. I, there's some, there, this is, this, she's speaking of the prophet Elisha, who was a great man of God and, and, and God used in powerful, extraordinary ways. And he was the prophet in Israel at this time. And this young servant girl, everybody in Israel knew about Elisha, and this servant girl was no different. And, and I find her faith in this story remarkable because she's found herself in the midst of suffering, and we don't even really spend a lot of time on her. Her suffering was different than Naaman's. Naaman's was a physical disease that was going to lead to death. Hers was a relational problem that was that uprooted her from everything she knew to be normal and found herself here. She could have very easily blamed God. She could have turned her back on God. She could have hated her people that she was now working for and was like, hey, hey, I ain't telling Naaman about this. I'll just let him suffer and die. She didn't do that. She speaks to Naaman's wife and says, if only my master would go to the prophet who is in Samaria. Look at her faith. He would cure him of his skin disease. Well, <laughs> that's a powerful statement. And so his wife goes to him and tells him. And so Naaman went and told his master, the king of Aram, what the servant girl from the land of Israel had said. Can you imagine this? Talk about going to extremes. I mean, Israel was beneath them. They had defeated them. But, but, but now this man who is suffering physically in pain and agony, knowing that there's no cure and it would cost him everything, eventually his life, he's like, wait a second. If there's a shot, if there's hope, I'm going to go do it. And he rushes to the king. He tells the king he's highly regarded in the king's, in the king's mind. He's a brave warrior. God is with him. And the king's like, surely God would heal him because the favor of the Lord rests on his life. And he goes to the king and shares that with him. And therefore the king of Aram said, go, and I will send a letter with you to the king of Israel. And so he went and he took with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold and 10 changes of clothes. Now I don't know about you, but the last part seems a little bit out of, out of, out of order. I mean, I'm taking 900 pounds of silver and gold. Oh, and I'm running by Dollar General and picking up 10 pairs of clothes. You know, that's, that's not what this is about. I mean, it seems like an add-on, but, but I think the funny part of that is it's, it's just this. Most people in their day and time had one change of clothes. That was it. And these clothes were handcrafted. They were handmade. They were very expensive. And so this is what Aram is doing in their culture, in their mindset, in their, their, their multi-God culture. They believed that they could buy these things. They thought that he would be able to buy his healing. And so they go with a massive display of power and wealth and authority and favor in hopes to gain favor from not just the king of Israel, but from the prophet. And so he brought the letter to the king of Israel and it read, when this letter comes to you, note that I have sent you my servant Naaman for you to cure him of his skin disease. Now I'm picturing the king of Israel seeing this massive entourage show up. It was quite the spectacle. And then he gets this letter from Naaman, who is a brave warrior, who is obviously the pomp and circumstance of this moment is incredible. And, he, and the king says, I've sent my servant Naaman to you for you to cure him of his skin disease. What does the king do? The king of Israel read the letter and he tore his clothes and he 
ask him, my God, killing and giving life that this man expects me to cure a man of his skin disease? He's like, what? This isn't right. I can't do something like this. What does he do? He panics. And he says this. He says, he says, think it over and you will see that he is only picking a fight with you. He's like, this guy's trying to pick a fight with me. I can't heal this guy. I'm going to send him back and the king of Aaron's going to come and attack us. And so this is a small village and town and, and, and region. And so when the king panics, word gets out. When this kind of, this kind of entourage shows up, it's, it's, it's quite a spectacle for everyone. And so word very quickly got to the prophet Elisha. And Elisha, the man of God, when he heard that the king of Israel tore his clothes, which is a sign of desperation, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Have him, what's his name, man? What's his name, man? <laughs> name him. Have him come to me, and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. Is that like this prideful, pompous statement? No. It's just confidence that God has put in this man's life and the calling that he's placed on his life, and he knows that the God of heaven will work through him. You see, we want God to pull us out of our darkness, but his desire may be to lead us through it. A lot of times we get these issues and these difficulties and we want out of it right now. But God may have a deeper strategy and plan for the problems that you're facing, the darkness that you're undergoing. And what he may want to do is different than what you think. We see that in Psalm 23. It's the Psalm of David. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David said, I will fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'll sit at a table in the presence of my enemies, but there, God, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows because I believe and I know that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so the answer may not be what you think. Pain is a problem. Pain can lead us to go to extremes. This was an extreme act, but the disease was debilitating and deadly. The third thing that we see in this is that pain can lead to humility. Pain can lead us to go to extremes and measures that we wouldn't normally go, but pain can also lead to great humility. And so Naaman came with his horses and chariots and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And so I'm picturing this small little hut, essentially, not much of anything, and this massive parade coming to the prophet's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. Elisha doesn't even come outside, you know? And it's not big. I mean, I'm sure Naaman could look inside and see, see him with his feet propped up watching television, you know, on his phone, checking out YouTube, whatever it is. I mean, he's just hanging out in there, but he's not coming out. Are you kidding me? You're not going to come out? Do you not know who I am? Do you not see the extremes that I've come to? Come check out the 900 pounds of silver and gold, and I got 10 changes of clothes for you, brother. You gonna be blinging. So come on out, I got something for you. And Elisha just sent him a message through a messenger, and he said, go wash seven times in the Jordan, the Jordan River, and your flesh will be restored and you will be clean. 
You see, the Jordan River was like this nasty little river that was somewhere between 15 and 20 mi- 25 miles away from this place. And it was an inconvenience already for him to come to this place, and it would be another inconvenience for him to take all of this stuff and turn around and leave and go another 15 to 25 miles away. And so Naaman got angry, and he left. And this is what he said. He said, I was telling myself. I was telling myself. In other words, he's saying, I thought... I was telling myself, I thought that this guy would surely come out, stand and call on the name of Yahweh his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure my disease. Do you know how many times these words, I thought, or I was telling myself, have stood between us and peace, us and joy? us in victory, because we thought something else should happen instead of what actually did. How much longer? How much longer are you and I going to worship at the altar of I thought, or I was telling myself, before we realize that God may want to do things in a different way? And so Naaman continues, and he says, Aren't Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus and Syria, or Aram, better than all the waters of Israel? <laughs> He's like, wait a second. I left and came this far when all he could have done was I could have went and dipped in the rivers of Damascus because they are so much better. Translation, my provisions, my comfort, my terms, my well-being, my significance, all of these things, all of these things, the things that I think, the things that think that I want, all of these things. Could I just not have done that? The rivers in Damascus are so much better than this dirty, filthy Jordan River. But his servants came to him. This is powerful. You see the love of people that work for him. His servants came to him and said to him, my father or sir, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more should you do it when he tells you wash and be clean? I love that. I love that those people loved him enough to come around him and speak that into his life and say, wait a second, what about this? If he'd have told you to do some grandiose thing, would you not have done it? And I know it may seem simple to you. It may seem beneath you. But why not give it a shot? And so Naaman went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times according to the command of the man of God, seven times. So he goes down into this river, and he dips one time, nothing. Two times, nothing. Three times, nothing. 
Four times, nothing. Five times, nothing. Six times, nothing. I'm picturing at some point, here's Naaman, and he's like, he comes out and he looks and like, ugh. One time, dips, comes out again, ugh. You know, I wonder, did he, did he ever con- consider stepping out of the water, just giving it up on the third try, the fourth try, the fifth try, the sixth try? But, 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 but this is, but, but Elijah said, not, not any of those times. It's got to be seven. Seven in the Bible is known as the number of completion. Maybe in these seven times, each time he dipped, God was tearing away a layer that he was going to need to be gone so that he could radically transform Naaman's life and use him in a supernatural, powerful, divine, and godly way. And finally, on the seventh time, he dipped according to the command of the man of God. And when he came out, his skin was restored. He became like the skin of a, and became like the skin of a small boy, and he was clean. You know, I go straight to the Gospels. And, and he speaks about becoming like a child, coming to him with the faith of a child. Because children and women were not allowed in that day and time around prophets. They would push them away. And there were settings where Jesus was around people and children wanted to come around him. And the disciples were acting like the secret service and they were pushing them away. And Jesus is like, stop, don't do that. Let the little children come to me for such is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if you don't have faith like a child, you can't come to me. It takes simple childlike faith. And and simple childlike faith restores you in a powerful way. Because when we say yes to Jesus, when we accept his grace, we become babies, infants in the faith. Like and, and Peter told us in First Peter chapter two, he said, like newborn babies desire the pure, sincere milk of the word of God so that you can grow by it. And that's where we grow. And eventually we can and enjoy solid food and things like that from the faith. But in the beginning, you're like a child. And that's where Naaman was. Naaman was, was, a, was a, a man who was not in the Jewish culture. He was a man who was a who was, uh, he was, he was expected to do certain things and he was used to doing certain things. And here he is in this place, full of rage, full of anger, full of pride, ready to leave and go back and give it up. But here in this place, he said yes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You see, many times I think we're looking to Jesus to change our circumstances when really what he wants to do is change us. You see, pain, pain is a problem. Pain can lead us to go to extremes. Pain can lead to humility, but pain can also open a door to a brand new life. And then Naaman and his whole company went back to the man of God and stood before him. They went back another 15 to 25 miles with this massive entourage and parade. And they said, he said, I know there's no God in the whole world except in Israel. You know what he doesn't mention? He mentions nothing about leprosy or his healing. I know there's no God in the whole world except in Israel. Therefore, please accept a gift from your servant. The man who had servants has now become one. Wow. And Elisha said, as the Lord lives, 
As the Lord lives, I stand before him. Now Elisha's not in the house. Elisha is outside. As the Lord lives and I stand before him, I cannot accept a gift from you. And Naaman urged him to accept it, but he refused. Elisha said, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not here to receive the gifts. And so Naaman asked a question. Look at the, this is conversion. This is life transformation. If not, please let your servant be given as much soil from the land of Israel as the pair of mules can carry. For your servant will no longer offer a burnt offering or a sacrifice to any other God but Yahweh. Naaman said, I want to take the dirt back so that when I go to offer a sacrifice, it'll be on holy ground. He said, but I do have a, a request. He said, in a particular matter, when the Lord, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master, the king of Aram, goes into the temple of Rimen to, walk, to worship. And I, as his right-hand man, bow in the temple of Rimen. He said, when I bow in the temple, may the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And Elisha said, go in peace. Well, I, I thought it was, it was idolatry to worship a foreign god and, and to bow and don't bow before any other god but the Lord. Yes, but, but I, I love the elementary stages and beginning of their faith. I mean, Elisha could have said, nope, that's it. You can't do that. But instead, he's, he's leading Naaman in steps, baby steps, small steps of faith that would lead to greater acts and moves of God in and through his life. Nobody knows what happens when he goes back. and The king of Aram sees what has happened. What kind of change was brought to the nation of Aram, Aram through this? This is what I think we see. When we embrace God's process we can experience His promise. You see, faith is believing and acting on the Word of God. Faith is more than just believing in the Word of God. Faith is believing and acting on the Word of God. And so when we learn to trust God in the process, we can experience His promises. Today, and I want you to see from the life of Naaman, from the message of a little servant girl from the message of Elisha. One small step can make, you, make a huge difference. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And so, wherever you are today, watching, listening, I, I don't know what's going on in, through, and around your life. But I know that pain is real. I know that pain can be a problem. I know it can lead you to go to extremes. I also want you to know, I mean, and you know this, pain can be very humbling. But pain given over to the Lord, trusting in His process, can lead you to a brand new life and experience great promises. And so faith is believing and acting on the Word of God. So where do you need to believe and how do you need to act? Because one small step can make a huge difference. Today, what step can you take? Is it reading your Bible? Is it praying? Is it asking Jesus into your heart to be your Savior? Is it 
taking a step of faith and joining a local congregation. Hey, if you live close by, come and see us at Commerce or Redstone. Come be a part. Take a step of faith. Step out. Step out of your comfort zone. Step out of your pain so that you can step in. Step into your calling. and Step into the promises that God has for your life. I pray his greatest blessings and peace upon you today. God bless you.